Hello and welcome to the Chess Journal Podcast, where each month we host a discussion with the authors of important articles from the current issue of the journal, adding context and commentary to the challenges facing clinicians in the fields of pulmonary, critical care, and sleep medicine. To introduce today's topic, here's your host, Dr. Dominique Pepper. On behalf of CHEST, I'd like to welcome you to this month's CHEST podcast. My name is Dominique Pepper, and I'm the moderator of the CHEST podcast section. Thank you all for joining us today for what will be a really interesting discussion on sex differences in right ventricular function in heart failure. Today, we're very fortunate to have Dr. Singh as our guest, and we'll be discussing his article entitled, Sex-Related Differences in Dynamic Right Ventricular Pulmonary Vascular Coupling in Heart Failure with Preserved Ejection Fraction. So thank you for joining us, Dr. Singh. Uh, Could you please introduce yourself? Yes, uh, thanks for having me, Dr. Pepper. Um, My name is Indajit Singh. I'm the director of the Pulmonary Vascular Disease Program at Yale New Haven Hospital. I'm currently an assistant professor of medicine at Yale School of Medicine in the division of pulmonary and um, critical care and sleep medicine. An absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast. So let's dive into why is this such an important topic? Why do we need to understand sex-related differences in right ventricular pulmonary vascular couplings, specifically with heart-related failure or um, pulmonary hypertension? Well, it's important because an improved understanding of sex-specific mechanism of heart failure can provide insights into the pathophysiologic basis of the disease process. This would then help guide the best management strategies for heart failure in both male and females. The other reason uh, why it's it's so important to understand the difference um, between male and female sexes is that it can also help enrich clinical trials. So currently, most of the heart failure-related clinical trials are constituted mainly by male participants. But if you have different pathophysiologic bases for heart failure between the sexes, your management approach or your interventions that you take are going to be very different as well. So very important in terms of diagnostics, therapeutics, and management. Um, maybe for our audience, you could just explain to us, you know, what is right ventricular pulmonary vascular coupling? Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to do so. So um, right ventricular pulmonary vascular com- coupling mathematically is the ratio of right ventricular systolic elastance, or EES for short, which is a measure of right ventricular contractile function, to pulmonary arterial elastance, or EA for short, which is a lumped measure of right ventricular afterload. The preservation of this ratio, or coupling as we call it, allows for the right ventricle to function at minimal energy cost. So a normal coupling ratio is greater than 0.8 a value of less than 0.8 heralds the the onset of heart failure. So uncoupling happens when you have a disproportionate increase in your um, pulmonary arterial elastins or EA relative to your um, right ventricular systolic elastin or EES. For example, in normal individuals, if when they are subjected to exercise, your afterload or your EA would increase from reduced from a reduction in your pulmonary arterial compliance. But you'd have a concomitant increase in your end 
in, in your right ventricular systolic elastins, or EES, and that preserves the right ventricular pulmonary arterial coupling ratio. So uh, those are pretty impressive formula. For those who aren't familiar with that uh, terminology, um, we would say, you know, there's a right ventricle, there's a pulmonary artery. What are the factors that ensure that blood flows from the right ventricle to the pulmonary artery? And how do we make sure that it's uh, working in in a uniform, uh, effective way? So there are several components to that. So the the first first aspect is that you have to have um, um, so the, the um, adequate right ventricular preload, and so if the if the preload to the right heart is is adequate, if the contractile function is adequate, and the afterload is not insurmountable, then you have a normal right ventricular to pulmonary vascular interaction, um, and 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 subsequently you will have a preserved right ventricular pulmonary artery coupling ratio. And then which factors would uh, cause uncoupling between the right ventricle and the pulmonary artery? So, you know, I mentioned earlier, uncoupling happens when you have either a, a, in, a disproportionate increase in the afterload um, or you have failure of augmentation of the right ventricular function in the face of increasing afterload. So because it's a ratio, um, if your contractile function does not increase appropriately to its afterload, you uncouple. Or if your afterload is too high and, and, uh, in relation to your contractile function, the right ventricle and the pulmonary artery uncouples. So for the benefit of our audience, could you just describe what the complications are if you have a right ventricular pulmonary vascular uncoupling? Sure. So w- when you have uncoupling, if you have uncoupling at rest, um, for example, if you have a ratio that is less than 0.8, that um, indicates um, the presence of heart failure. If you have a um, right ventricular pulmonary artery uncoupling in patients with pulmonary arterial hypertension, that's been shown to be associated with increase in uh, patient mortality. If um, If you have evidence of right ventricular pulmonary arterial uncoupling dynamically during exercise that is associated with reduced um, uh, aerobic capacity. Okay, so very important uh, complications. So let's dive into your study. Um, So maybe you could just briefly overview what was the uh, motivation for your study and what were your study methods? Sure. So, you know, uh, historically, um, the terminology um, of... um, heart failure preserved ejection fraction, or HFPEF, is synonymous with abnormalities of the left ventricle and its systemic circulation. However, the central role of right ventricular dysfunction in determining patient outcomes in HFPEF is now being more and more increasingly recognized. Now, others have shown that sex-related differences between right ventricular function uh, in in different cohorts, uh, for example, in resting uh, patients with HFPEF, resting pH with lung disease, patients with pulmonary arterial hypertension, and even in healthy controls. But, you know, importantly, these studies only examine right ventricular function or dysfunction at rest. Now, the, these studies are, are very important, right? These, t- these testings, the resting investigative modalities are important in the di- diagnosis and assessment of these patients. However, they have limited utility in examining the dynamic effects of the, on the right ventricle 
created by the hemodynamic perturbations during ex exercise. And because of that, we sought to examine sex-related differences in dynamic right ventricle functioning by assessing right ventricular palmiotary coupling during maximum upright incremental exercise testing using invasive cardiopalmy exercise testing um, in our HFPAF cohort. Okay, so we exist in a world where we interact with the world and we exercise, we are active, so very important that we have dynamic uh, results. So maybe you could briefly cover your study methods and how they addressed any limitations of any previous studies. Yeah, so the, the, the first, the, first you know, the design of this was a retrospective study uh, and included all of our PHFF cohort who underwent invasive cardiopalmy exercise testing between 2011 and 2020. You know, to help address limitations from prior studies, we, we first examined the sex-related differences in right ventricular function during exercise using invasive CPAP um, in HFPAP individuals who happen to have similar resting baseline RV function compared to the prior studies that, which, which I had mentioned. Uh, at rest, they had um, uh, evidence of RV dysfunction. The other uh, limitations that that we address was um, um, you know pertains to the method in which we determine right ventricular palmi artery uh, coupling. We use this this methodology called a single beat method uh, where from the um, right ventricular pressure waveform we determine um, uh, different measures of right ventricular palmi artery coupling. One of the measures that we uh, that is important in determining coupling is the estimate or surrogate for the right ventricular and systolic pressure. Prior studies have used surrogates such as the mean palmi arterial pressure or the peak RV systolic pressure as surrogates for the RV and systolic pressure. The problem with using the mean palmi arterial pressure is that it often underestimates true right ventricular and systolic pressure in a hypertensive right ventricle, while the peak RV systolic pressure overestimates the true RV and systolic pressure in a normal tensive right ventricle. So we, we actually employed a, a, a methodology that we described in this pa paper um, that provided an estimate of the right ventricular and systolic pressure from the pressure derivative of the right ventricular pressure waveform. And so that's that's the second uh, uh, um, aspect in how we address prior limitations specifically related to the methodology of deriving RVPA coupling. Okay, so you're hoping to get a better estimate of um, uh, your uh, pulmonary pressures. So what were your key findings and what did and how did you interpret them? So the first first key finding was that uh, both male and female HFPAF patients experience dynamic RV PA coupling versus their respective controls. However, despite similar right ventricular palmi arterial coupling measures, male HFPAF uh, patients exhibited greater dynamic right ventricular PA uncoupling at peak exercise with consequential reduced peak exercise aerobic capacity. And the peak RVP and coupling in males was the culmination of a disproportionate increase in right ventricular afterload, along with its impaired ability to augment right ventricular contraction. In contrast, the female cohort, they were able to augment the RV contractile function 
and have an attenuated increase in the afterload. Therefore, at peak exercise, the RVPA coupling ratio was, was preserved. So, so in summary, the female patients had better peak exercise aerobic capacity versus their male counterparts because they were able to augment the RV contractile function and also because they had an attenuated increase in their right ventricular uh, afterload. And why do you think that happened? Why would it be that uh, the females are able to have uh, the better outcomes compared to the men? So that, that's a that's a loaded question. Um, so for, um, you know, the, our cohort is um, the the mean age was seventy, and so so um, to to simply uh, say that. Uh, this is uh, down to sex hormone differences between male and females will, will not tell the, the the whole story, and so you know perhaps non hormone you know so because of that non hormonal factors you know have to be invoked. Uh, for example, you know is there sex related differences in immune responses, or more recently you know uh, it was been it's, it was shown that there's been a sex related differences in Y chromosome transcription of signaling pathways with perhaps opposing actions on the pulmonary circulation and the RV, but certainly the findings of this study warrants further investigation into investigating why there's such a discrepant uh, RVP-VAS response between males and females uh, uh, have patients during exercise. Okay. So you had a relatively small sample size, only 22 male patients with HFPEF and 27 female with HFPEF compared to their controls. Um, some may raise the concern, you know, there's a number of limitations that need to be addressed. Did you adjust for confounders? Are there any other factors that could be driving this instead of just a sex-related difference? What would your response be? So it it could very well you know it, it that's a very important point you know we we this is a small cohort uh, considering the the duration and in which this retrospective study was conducted you know these these are all clinically indicated invasive cardiopulmonary exercise testing um and so a lot of these patients uh all of these patients really had abnormal resting supine hemodynamics with evidence of HFPEF nonetheless they underwent uh, uh, further investigative study uh, in the form of an invasive cardiopulmonary exercise test to better understand their exertional limitation and their right heart hemodynamics. And so this, this provides an unparalleled uh, insight into the pathophysiology of these patient population. It's a very unique data set. And the other thing I'd like to point out is it's not, it's not only that we showed um, that there's RVP and coupling. Right. We also showed that um, the findings of RVP and coupling corroborates other measures and other metrics of worsening exercise function that is independent to the RVPA uh, coupling measurement. For example, we showed that there's a correlation, a significant, co- significant correlation between coupling and the individual's peak exercise aerobic capacity. We, we showed... Um, uh, a significant correlation between RVP and coupling uh, with the peak stroke volume index attained by, by both groups. So 
this is basically, uh, as we said before, a small sample size, possibly selection bias. So we would need to further investigate to see whether there truly is a sex-related difference between this. But the findings that you have in terms of uncoupling with HEFPEF are pretty interesting. Um, so maybe you, you could explain to us, you, you mentioned the importance of um, blood flowing from the right ventricle to the pulmonary artery based on, you know, afterload, preload, and contractility. But one unique feature about the right ventricle is that it also has uh, implications or effects on the left ventricle. So maybe you could tie that all up together for us, you know, how is it that the right ventricle, if it's RVPA uncoupling, how does that affect your uh, systolic function on the left? So it, it's actually it's actually converse of what you're saying. We, we, there's, we, we're, all, we're all familiar with the concept of right ventricular um, and uh, left ventricular interdependence, and that interdependence is usually described in the context of diastology um, in, in, in that if your right ventricle is enlarged and, 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 and dilated and because the heart is confined within the pericardium, um, the expansion, would, uh, the, the enlargement of the right ventricle would impinge on the, on, the left ventric, uh, on the left ventricle, particularly during diastole when it's trying to relax and fill but it's up against this, this, this large RV on, on, on the other side of it. The other aspect of, um, uh, of inter, uh, 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 ventricular interdependence is actually systolic uh, uh, interventricular dependence. The RV and the LV, they, sh- they share common fibers, so much so that the RV contractile function is derived, uh, is significantly contributed uh, from the left ventricle. And we have uh, examples of that, you know, for, um, um, uh, for example, if you, if you, if you look at uh, a, a study now going back many decades now where in, in, in an animal study where they chart the free wall of the right ventricle, the RV stroke volume was still sustained. That's owing to the septum contraction. Um, the, the other example we can we can provide is that uh, in patients with um, 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 who who have a um, left ventricular assist device placed in, where um, uh, immediately postoperatively you see the patient uh, uh, experience um, cardiogenic shock because now you you've taken out the left ventricular contractile function when you place a left ventricular assist device in. Okay. Are there any other limitations that you'd like to mention in your study, Dr. Singh? No, I think that, you know, I think we've covered them all. Okay. Um, so what do you, do you think, your, how does your study contribute to the research and clinical practice of heart failure? I think it provides a, a platform for future studies to investigate the adaptive and the maladaptive mechanisms of right ventricular pulmonary vascular interaction between the sexes in HEFPEF, you know, which would allow for a better understanding of the differential pathophysiology and outcomes observed between the sexes. And this can help guide uh, a precision medicine approach targeting the different mechanisms that underlies HEFPEF. Okay. Thank you very much. Uh, A very big thank you to Dr. Singh for an interesting conversation and a big thank you to our chess community for joining us. I'm Dominic Pepper and this is a chess podcast.